The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has been made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and newborn Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, first of all, welcome to each and every one of you, whether you are longtime members of St. Philip the Deacon who are here regularly or whether this is your first time worshiping with us or you fall somewhere in between, whether you have come from around the block or from across the ocean, and I know we have a number of uh, family and friends who have traveled long distances to be with us tonight, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad you are here to celebrate with us the Nativity of Christ, the birth of Jesus, our Savior. As I've been reflecting on uh, Christmas this year, I've been thinking about stories, uh, most fundamentally, of course, the Christmas story. But I've also thought about other ways that stories play a part at this time of year. I think, for example, of our house where 
over the last two decades, we have collected all kinds of children's Christmas stories, uh, which now occupy pride of place every Christmas when we pull them out and put them under the Christmas tree. Uh, I also think about the way, I think particularly at this time of year, uh, as families gather and we have meals and celebrations, we end up uh, telling and retelling and retelling again stories from our shared past. Does any other family here do that? Uh, you know, and it's a wonderful way both to remember both good times and bad times, uh, things that brought joy and maybe also sadness. Um, and it's also a wonderful way to reinforce the bonds of love that we share today. Uh, one of those stories in our house, uh, which gets told and retold regularly at this time of year, um, involves our youngest son, Andrew. Uh, I think I may have shared this story before, um, and I felt a little sheepish about sharing it, but then it occurred to me, well, part of my message is about the fact that we get together to tell and retell stories, so I'm going to share it with you again. Uh, Andrew's now in high school. He did give me permission to share this story again. Um, uh, but it happened when he was much younger. I think he was maybe, I don't know, six, seven years old. And with the enthusiasm and exuberance that only a child can bring, he said to me one day in the days leading up to Christmas, Dad, I love Christmas because it's all about the presents. And I looked at him, and I think he recognized immediately that he had somehow grasped the fullness, let us say, of this time of year. And so he said very quickly, and Jesus. And I decided to press it a bit, so I said, well, what about Jesus exactly? And he said, without really thinking much about it, he said that he died. <laughs> and I looked at him quite a little quizzically, and it was clear you could see the gears in his mind turning, and it was clear he understood he had missed the mark somehow, but he wasn't quite sure how, so he kept going on that same path. He said, on the cross. <laughs> and I looked at him quizzically again, and he said, finally, for our sins. Now, Andrew, uh, at that tender age, was sharing uh, an important fact about our Christian story, but he needed a little remedial work that year about the Christmas story. I'm going to trust that that is not the case for most of us. I'm assuming that most of us know the difference between Good Friday and Easter and Christmas. However, I do think that when we tell and retell the Christmas story, uh, there is a danger for Christians, which I'll get to in a minute, and I want to sort of maybe push against gently. Uh, but first, let's remember the story. I mean, this, this beautiful, uh, gentle, majestic, uh, mysterious story that we all know so well. I don't know why I sometimes choke up about the story. Maybe that is a reminder of its power. But especially from the second chapter of Luke, which I think many of us almost know from memory, you know, we know the characters, we know the places, we know what they do, the shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flocks by night, the starry night sky, the angels who come to them and, and, and bring news of great joy unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is the Messiah. The Lord, And we know then that those shepherds travel to that city, the city of David, to Bethlehem, to the stable, where they see this young couple, a couple, Mary and Joseph, who had to have been so scared and confused 
and worried. And yet, who had this unbelievable faith and courage and were willing to follow God where God seemed to be leading them even though they weren't quite sure what it meant. And then at the center of it all, of course, a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, Jesus. Even with just the broadest outlines of that story, it seems to me that it is hard not to feel a certain nostalgia, a certain uh, sentimental quality to the story. And I think part of what we think automatically is, it's such a beautiful story. And it happened so long ago. And it really doesn't have much to do with us today. And if that is what we think, then I want to suggest tonight that we are as far off the mark of understanding the Christmas story as my son Andrew was when he confused Good Friday and Easter with Christmas. What do I mean by that? Certainly, absolutely, without question, when we gather on a night like this, yes, of course, we gather to celebrate the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago. But as Christians, we also are gathering to remember and to recognize that in that event, the true king of this world was breaking in to this broken, fallen world, which the Bible describes as enemy-occupied territory which is not interested in having that true king return. And so he has to come in disguise as a little baby. And he goes about his work of reconciling and restoring and healing the world, of bringing hope and peace and joy and light and life. And he does that through his own ministry, through his death, and yes, through his resurrection. And then, of course, he does it how? By inviting people like you to be his hands and feet, which he has been doing now for the last 2,000 years. And so, if we only believe that the Christmas story is something that happened 2,000 years ago, we miss most of the story. As Meister Eckhart, who was one of Martin Luther's favorite authors, said famously, what difference does it make if Jesus was born 2,000 years ago if he is not born again in my heart this Christmas. And so as we gather in a place like this on a night like this to recount and remember and retell the Christmas story, we need to remember that it is not simply a nostalgic tale that happened 2,000 years ago, but rather is an invitation from the true king of the world to each and every one of you to continue his work of reconciliation of hope, of bringing peace and joy and light to the world. When we come to a place like this and we sing the beautiful songs that we know so well and we pray the beautiful prayers, we need to remember those are not just empty and sentimental words, but they are, in fact, a deep kind of poetry whose goal is to encourage and equip us as we go about the work of following Jesus, even when, like Mary and Joseph, we are confused and scared and filled with doubt. When we gather on a night like this, in a place like this, to come together to receive a meal, we need to remember that it is not simply bread and wine, 
but Jesus himself coming into our bodies to nourish us and to sustain us with food for our journey as we continue to follow him into a hope-filled future. I've been talking and thinking about stories, and maybe the simplest way to say it is that many of the stories that we have under our tree begin with those famous words that so many stories start with. A long time ago, in a kingdom far, far away, when it comes to the Christmas story, what I want to suggest to you tonight is that a long time ago always means right now. And a kingdom far, far away always means right here. Merry Christmas. Amen.